It's the Braincast, Braincast, the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, oh Welcome to the Breakcast. I am your host, Aaron Sarnecki, senior writer for thepopbreak.com, and I am joined today with my uh, brother, Josh Sarnecki. Yep, and I can't remember what my title is anymore, but how do you- I, I recently, I, I think it's senior columnist now. Uh, you'd have to ask Bill to be sure. <laughs> I, I just do what he tells me. So Josh and I are here once again to discuss another movie. Uh, this time it's celebrating its 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie is Alice in Wonderland. Um, the 2010 version by Tim Burton. Um, not to be confused with the 1951 version, which did not come out 10 years ago. Because math. Right. If we wanted to celebrate... Um, the anniversary for that, what would it be, the 70th? Yeah. Next year? Wow. That that math took longer than it should have. Um, But yeah, so the the 2010 adaptation. Right. Um, So, Josh, do you have a recollection of when you first saw this movie? I do. Uh, When we saw it together, um, we were there, um, with some friends in high school. So that was our, our senior year of high school. And the most vivid thing about seeing this movie was that you and I, I don't think either of us particularly were interested in seeing this movie, but our friend Jordan, um, really, really wanted to see it for whatever reason. And so he convinced us and a few other friends to go see it. And the most memorable part about that experience was that, Probably within half an hour of the movie starting, Jordan fell asleep. Jordan had some sleeping issues. And so he didn't wake up until the very end of the movie where she kills the Jabberwock. He's like, there's a dragon in this movie. So, Jordan, I love you. You're great. I can't believe you brought us that movie and then fell asleep. And uh, that is pretty similar to my recollection. That That's basically what happened. But I also have a little background um, on what happened before the movie. I don't. Do you remember going to the dollar store, getting a bunch of candy, and then sneaking it in? Oh, was that the time we did that? I'm pretty sure that was the same time. Okay. Because our, our friend Jordan um, also, uh, he claimed that one time, when he brought in food to the movie theater and, you know, movie theaters generally don't like you bringing out outside food. He claimed that one time that, uh, he had some in his pocket and he told, uh, one of the staff at the movie theater who questioned him, he said, this is my diabetic blood monitor. How dare you ask me to take it out of his pocket? Yeah. You remember that story? Oh yeah, I do. And, and that's yeah. that's just I think that Jordan falling asleep and that story I think sums him up pretty well. <laughs> uh, I feel bad calling out Jordan, but <laughs> no, uh, no, this is why we love him. 
Yeah. 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 Jordan, if you're listening, you know, you're, you're great. We love you. Just, just friendly teasing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, in terms of the movie itself, I, the only other thing that really stood out for me from the movie, um, was the, the stupid Mad Hatter dance, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Right. Right. Uh, I think for this time, you already sort of mentioned the climax, but I think let's kind of stick to, you know, the beginning for now. Yeah. As I have a tendency to jump to the end, I will do my best to not do that this time. So um, this was the first time that I had seen this. I might have seen it a little bit on TV before, but this was the first time that I had rewatched it in full. Um was it the same for you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I hadn't watched this since 2010. So, um, rewatching it, did your opinion with, you know, you not really having much of an opinion of it last time, did it change at all? It changed a bit. I don't think the movie is, was as much of a train wreck as I remembered. It's just kind of boring in a Tim Burton kind of way, which is not a, a good thing um, for a movie that's supposed to be so nonsensical and colorful and fantastical. Um, yeah, it's just kind of forgettable, I would say. What about you? I have similar feelings. Um, my thoughts are sort of like, uh, I know you haven't watched it, but in Chernobyl, when they're talking about the nuclear disaster, which is a funny analogy, they said not great, but not or not bad, but not great. And um, that's sort of what my feeling rewatching the movie is, is, you know, it's not really that bad, but it's really not that great either. There are things that it does that I think work to its advantage, but at the same time, I feel like you could watch better movies and get the same thing. Oh, yeah. And I have a very particular movie in mind that you could watch and get the same thing right. and get it better. And I'll, I'll, I'll go to that later. So um, we haven't even talked about the plot of the movie yet. So why don't you give us a brief summary of the movie's plot? There's a plot to this movie? Um yeah, there, there's there's sort of a plot this movie. Um, basically, you're following um, Alice, and she is 19 years old, and she is supposed to um, she's being proposed to by a lord um, in England, and she basically runs off when she sees a white rabbit, goes down the rabbit hole, and is taken to the magical land of Wonderland, which is actually called Underland, apparently. Um, and basically, she's then caught up in this whole war of the White Queen versus the Red Queen. And there's this sort of prophecy that Alice is supposed to kill the Red Queen's um, prize monster, the Jabberwocky. And so what follows is a tale about Alice um, going through and becoming the more of herself, I guess, the way that the movie puts it, so that she can... Um, eventually face the Jabberwocky and free the people of Underland. That's, a, that's a pretty good summary, actually. I, I think yes. 
for, for all the other things that go on this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have, I have a much more, um, defined, uh, quick take of this movie than the movie has of itself. It does sort of like, it meanders. <laughs> That's a good word. It's a very meandering movie. So, it, just jumping right in, um, what do you think of the setting, both of like the the Victorian England setting and then the the Underland? Does that does that work for you? Do you like it? I think that. I think the setting, so my opinion of it the first time, I think I didn't like the Victorian setting as much. Um, now I think it's a little more interesting. Um, maybe, I don't know, I'm just a little bit older. I can appreciate things like the costuming and stuff like that. Not that it's something that blew me away. It was just like, it's like, okay, this is, you know, a period piece. Um, as for um, Underland, Wonderland, whatever we're going to call it. Um, I So I rewatched, and we'll, we'll probably go into comparisons uh, at some point, the uh, animated version as well, uh, prepping for this. And um, I think that the translation between book and cartoon and movie is pretty accurate. I would say that they're, they, you know, checked all the boxes off, uh, so to speak. Um, I'm not a particularly big fan, and there is a reason for this, or at least I think there's a reason for this, where the colors are a little more muted. Um, mm. Part of that is the Tim Burton aesthetic. Um, but part of it is also that some of the life of Underland has been taken away by the Red Queen, or at least that's that was my interpretation. That's why it looks that way, because when we see some flashbacks, it looks a little more colorful. Right. I well, I want to I want to agree with that last part with the colors. And I, that might have actually bothered me more than it did you, because I know it is a very Tim Burton-y look to have things a bit washed out, but it didn't feel right to me, even though I haven't seen the, the 1951 version of Alice in Wonderland. But when I think of what I do know of that movie um, and the other things that go with it, I usually consider it to be very br- vibrant and bright and colorful. And uh, so much of this movie is just very gray tone to it. And, and your does... description, having watched the movie, your description is accurate. It is a colorful movie as, you know, most of the animated movies that Disney has produced is. Um, right. And, and, and like, that was actually one of the things um, when I'll compare it later. I will say that that was one of the things that is very noticeable watching that movie and that I liked about that movie. But I feel like right. that's just a general good animation should pop. Yeah. But I think that Alice in Wonderland has definitely gotten a um, association with more psychedelic imagery. And 
I feel like the the muted colors really take away from that. And it, it bothered me a bit. And I, I get your point about the Red Queen sapping the life out of Wonderland. But even when you see the, the White Queen's domain later, even that's very muted in a weird way. You mean like discount Minas Tirith? <laughs> Lord of the Rings? Basically, I, uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on the White Queen and her nonsense. But um, yeah, so the, the, the look of it was just a bit meh for me. Um, how did you feel how uh, the CGI has aged? I think it's perfectly serviceable. Um, I don't think it's going to blow. It didn't blow me away, but it compared to things that are 20, 25 years old, it's, I would think it's aged pretty well. Um, do you, you think so? No, you, do you disagree? I kind of, well, so this was apparently nominated for best visual effects at the Academy Awards for that year. And there were so many times when I found myself being really annoyed with the, the visuals for this. Um, because, and I don't think it's that they were necessarily bad. It's just that it seemed like they threw way too much at it. And because of that, it almost was stretched thin. Because there was one character in particular kept bothering me, and that was the the knave of hearts or whatever the 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 kind of the right hand man of the red queen. Right, Crispin Glover's character. Yeah, like like yeah, like I don't know why they animated his arms and legs to be so weird and lanky, but it was so distracting. It did not look good. Right at first, I was like, "Is is that just the way that the movie looks?" Like, no, he's definitely like a little like bendy man (laughs) yeah i don't understand that i kept expecting it to be like a men in black reveal like oh he's a little guy inside of a big suit like no that's not it um and that would have sort of fit with the plot with some of the revelations that come later in the movie (laughs) right um but so those those things didn't really work for me um like i think overall it's okay but there was moments like that where it just looked Bad. And I think the same thing about um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I think, look pretty terrible. What about the Red Queen's bulbous head? Oh, gosh. Uh, that is another big offender. I feel like you can tell that they just pasted, like they just blew up her head, uh, Hannah Bottoms Carter's head, and just pasted it back on her body. Like it... The the seams are very visible for that, if you know what I mean. I do agree. Um, some scenes it looks good, but there are definitely, I would say, the majority if you're really looking at it. Um, and maybe they're like, hey, well, there's so much going on that people won't notice. I, um, uh-huh. One thing I will note is uh, when we saw this movie, we saw it in 3D. Um, and this was back... So this was only a few months after Avatar came out, which we did not see in theaters. But 3D was really becoming the big thing. Yeah. Um, Though a difference between the two movies is Avatar was shot in 3D with James Cameron's fancy camera system. This was converted in post, which James Cameron actually criticized Tim Burton for doing. Mm. Because, you know... Somebody's gonna copy me. They better do it right. <laughs> it's fair. Um, 
I, I couldn't remember if we'd seen it in 3D or not. So thank you for remembering that. I don't uh, think... But one thing to say about 3D is actually that would have cut out the light of the picture even more because that's a tendency for the uh, 3D glasses. They tend to cut out some of the light of the picture. So it would have looked even darker to us. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I, I, But yeah, we did see in 3D because I can particularly remembering... I don't know if I felt a little nauseous, but um, when she was falling down the rabbit hole, I remember seeing that in 3D. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, I don't think it's super obvious that this movie w- was made for 3D, even though it wasn't shot in it. There are a few instances, I think, when the Hatter throws his hat or other things, when things are popping out of the screen, that's like, okay, well, that was a 3D shot. But... Yeah, I don't think, unlike some other movies, say like Spy Kids 3D, oh, when, when 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 3D was really a gimmick. I mean, some would argue it still is, but when that was really that was the idea of when you do 3D, you gotta have to throw things in the audience's face. Um, I don't think there was too much of that. There was a bit of it. I I was maybe a little bit more critical of that than you because there were times when it did pull me out and it reminded me. Oh yeah, this was really marketed for 3D. Um, you mentioned the ones with the with the hatter and throwing his hat. The the ones that really got me were when the the bandersnatch was running through the the forest, or especially the and and that and that's speaking of discount movies, they definitely like discount Avatar there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what is it like the the not the 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 main white rabbit, but the other rabbit. Oh the. The March Hare. Yes. When him. he's throwing things in the kitchen and throwing the tea cups. Yeah. For that, that seemed like, okay, this character is only here to entice or, you know, utilize the, the 3D budget. Because every time it seems like something was being thrown right at the camera, it was always him. Right. It's like, it's this movie will work. You just need to utilize the March Hare. Yeah. I, he's yeah, the key to all of this. Apparently that. So before we get too far, I do want to get into you you mentioned like the transition from going from the Victorian England setting to to Wonderland, um, where she first like meets everyone. Um, There's the whole drink me where she gets big um, and the or no, what's it? The, the, The bottle she drinks makes her small and the thing she eats makes her big. Correct. That's that's what it is. Okay, cool. Um, I know that is from the the book. And yes. I know that's also in the 1951 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the CGI, though, did you feel like the CGI for that worked well in this? I think it worked well enough. I actually... I think that scene... Could, they could have shaved a couple minutes off of it. I think it went on a little too long. <laughs> uh, it's, it takes forever just for her to, like grow big and grow small just okay we get it she, she's got to change size and i think that even the movie has impatience with her because they have um dormouse and i think the white rabbit talking and, and wondering doesn't she remember how to do this like what's going on so yeah that that part just dragged a little bit but did you have something to say about the victorian setting um it was fine as kind of framing the the underland scene 
um, it does remind me, and uh, I'll just get into it now. Did you get a vibe of the Wizard of Oz at all from this version? Hmm. I didn't really connect the two. Um, I think there are just there are similarities, um, obviously, between the two stories. Right. I think for me, this seemed more Wizard of Ozzy. Um, gosh, now I'm thinking of like Ozzy Osbourne, the Wizard of Oz. Um, but like more like the Wizard of Oz than it could have been because there are a few characters in Underland that reflect those in the Victorian England setting. Right, okay, yeah, that, that did... There was that, though they aren't played by the same actors. Right, so it's not as obvious and on the nose as it is in... I mean, not on the nose, it's supposed to be that way. Um, it's not as apparent as it is in The Wizard of Oz, but just the way that Tweedledee and Tweedledum are a lot like um, the two women that Alice encounters at the party. Um, and there's a few other ones. I think the Red Queen is very similar to the the woman who's hosting the party. Um, things like that. But th- those kind of things gave me that, that Wizard of Oz vibe. And when we were talking about, you, you know, other movies have done it better, I, I think Wizard of Oz has definitely done the whole travel to a mystery, fantastical world and come back with new knowledge and lessons better than this movie did. Oh, I, I feel like to compare the movies is so unfair because The Wizard of Oz is so full of, you know... I mean, it's cert- there are certainly elements of it that are <laughs> dated, um, particularly when you can tell when they're on a soundstage, <laughs> but mm. um, I don't know, that movie is so full of life, whereas this movie is... So not. And that's the Tim Burton of it all. Is that like, I, I have not seen as much Tim Burton as you have, I'm sure. But this, this strikes me as a very Tim Burton feel to it where we're going to throw all these fun and colorful and strange things at you, but there's going to be something just a little dead about them all. It depends on the Tim Burton movie you're talking about. If you're talking about a movie like his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, then, yeah, there is a certain similarity. Um, and maybe that was sort of... I, I didn't see the new Dumbo, but that might have been a, a criticism of his new Dumbo. Um, I Some of his movies work better than others. Um, I'm not a huge fan either of the Tim Burton aesthetic. Uh, I love it in his Batman movies. Um, they, I probably wouldn't like those movies half as much without his particular flair, even though he does make some very odd choices in those movies. Um, yes. Did you see Edward Scissorhands? No. Um, okay. But I think a movie where it is a more of a fantastical and... It works are movies like Beetlejuice and Big Fish, mm-hmm. uh, which have uh, fantastical settings. Um, and they actually feel like alive. Um, right. But I, I think that's that's the problem I have most with this movie more than anything else. It's it's the same. You you mentioned Charlie and Chocolate Factory. It's, it's the same reason why I think that 
Charlie and the Chocolate Factory does not work as a adaptation of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or, uh, you know, as a follow up to that, because the, the 1951 Alice in Wonderland and the original film version of Willy Wonka are so bright and colorful and joyful. Um, and then Tin Burn just sucks the life out of them and presents the, some of the color, but there's something about it that's not quite there. And I think it takes some of the fun out of it. I would agree. Okay, cool. I mean, you don't have to agree, but, um, so somehow we have not, we, we've mentioned Matt Hatter, but we have not, we have not said Johnny Depp's name at all, which is amazing that we've gone this far without saying it. Um, but yeah, he's got the top billing on this, even though he's not Alice. Uh, I'm sure Tim Burton would have loved to have cast him as Alice if he could. Um, but what do you think of Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter? Well, he's certainly better than his Willy Wonka. I'll give him that. That's a low bar, though. Um, I think he's perfectly fine. Um, I think the perform the only time where he gets a little not on my nerves, but you just have to roll his eyes is whenever he gets up into. You know, a little bit of a, you know, a, a fire, as much of a fiery rage as, you know, the Mad Hatter is going to get. He starts putting on this hokey Scottish-ish accent. Yes. Ugh. <laughs> uh, talking about, I can't even do it. But <laughs> That wasn't too bad. No, that, oh, that annoyed me so much. I forgot he did that. And it's so and, distracting. And here's, a, here's a guy who, who I mean... I'm, you know, not British, so I'm, I, I guess I can't rate him too much on his accent. But from, you know, somebody who's in something like Pirates of the Caribbean, and at least for an American, he puts on such a convincing accent that you forget that he's not English. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, you know, if you're British, you'd be like, no, his accent is terrible. But for for me, like him talking with any of the other characters played by British actors like, you know, Keira Knightley or Orlando Bloom, you know, doesn't, you know, seem odd to me. He seems like like he fits right in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He he does pretty good with with accents, but that. Scottish one is I it it seemed like him making a choice more than anything like I feel that that was Johnny Depp coming onto the set and saying I want to do something weird what can I do oh when he's getting really passionate about something I'm going to put on a Scottish accent for no reason and, and I mean I wouldn't be surprised if you're right I mean I I have a feeling that Tim Burton gives Johnny Depp very a very big free reign uh, with his performances in most of the movies that they've done together more as they've gone on. Which is fair. I mean, when you, when you develop that kind of working relationship with someone and you have that level of trust with them, I get that. But I think as a director, you also have to be willing to say, Hey, I don't know if this is working. So what, what about the, just the visual of the Mad Hatter? Did you like I, that? 
when I first saw it, it really freaked me out. His his <laughs> his eyes and his eyelashes and just his pale white face are sort of freaky. Yeah. Um and it's not that bad once you get used to it, even though again his eyes kind of bulge out of his head a little bit. Yeah. Um but they could have gone with much worse things, so true. But I, uh, <laughs> but my partner Bree made a good point, saying that especially when he is doing his weird dance at the end, he's very reminiscent of Pennywise from It. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, so yeah, he a bit creepy, but eh, it could be worse, I guess. But. He looks so different from what I've seen of the, the 1951 version. Oh, no, that guy's just like a guy in a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that kind of is implied by the name. Um, but yeah, so I feel like once the Mad Hatters introduce things, get a, a definitely much more quirky, but also more uh, unfocused. Because the movie doesn't seem to want to focus on Alice as much. It just really wants to focus on Mad Hatter. That's. Well, you see, having watched. Can, can I go into comparison now between this and the cartoon version? I feel like. We, I would be happy for you to do it. So you say the movie is unfocused, but. The big difference between this and what, and my understanding of what the book is, is there's really no narrative focus at all in the uh, the cartoon and the book. It's sort of just like one episode after another of Alice bumping into characters. And even when I was reading, you know, the notes Tim Burton was uh, saying, that's basically, that's, you know, that's what the book is like. He wanted to give this a little more structure which is why he introduced the prophecy and stuff like that, taking some, an element of, it's not even a really big part of my understanding of Through the Looking Glass, the sequel book, and making it the central plot point of this movie. Mm. So in some ways, because I tend to like plot-focused movies more, I actually kind of prefer this version to the to the uh, animated, but at the same time, it doesn't have any of the charm of the animated version. Right, and that makes sense. And I I know researching before talking about this and by research i mean wikipedia um <laughs> that yeah the the book is very much unfocused and really episodic and it sounds like the 1951 movie is pretty similar um but i i, I think my problem with i i agree that it makes sense to have um that main conflict in here but I think especially with Matt Hatter, what it does is, is it 
it becomes less interested in Alice. And it feels like it wants to almost set up a spinoff movie for the Mad Hatter in a way. Because I never, from what I've read and from what I know of the other versions, the Mad Hatter is never this integral to the story. Oh, he's in the other version for maybe like 10 minutes. He's, and that, I mean, yeah, he's in it for like less of the fifth of the movie. Yeah. But in this version, he is the leader of the resistance against the Red Queen and literally is like going into battle against the Queen's best, uh, the Red Queen's best soldier. Um, And so it's just such a distraction, I think. Some other interesting differences is so. Like I said, the Jabberwocky is it's just like a poem or something in the uh, through the looking glass book. It's not actually like a plot point. It's just like a poem. Right. Um, But in this, it's, you know, got to slay the Jabberwocky, got to overthrow the Red Queen. Um, this movie does some things where, so the Red Queen and the White Queen are characters from the Through the Looking Glass book, whereas the Queen that most people who have seen the animated version or just have read the book would be acquainted with would be the Queen of Hearts. Um, so they sort of mix them together Um mm-hmm. But, you know, instead of chess pieces, it's, you know, playing cards. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's not a huge difference, honestly. I feel like out of all the changes that they made in this movie, you know, that was probably, you know, the most innocuous. Um, right. Most and- people probably didn't even realize that there are, you know, Another another set of queens. <laughs> oh gosh, no, I I didn't until five minutes before we started recording this. Um, actually, can can I go on a, a tangent? Go ahead. Do you remember going to Disney World as a kid? And I don't know if you were around, but I remember I at least was at the teacups, the teacups ride, and I met the the Queen of Hearts. Were you around for that? Do you remember? No, but I have a feeling I know where this is going. Yeah, so I I guess I'd just gotten off the teacups or was around the teacups, and I met the Queen of Hearts. Um and she was like commanding me around and like making me bow and do all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was scared, but I just did everything. And then she eventually gave me your autograph and like pat me on the head and like sent me off. And I'm pretty sure I was shook the whole time. Like what is going on here? Uh, I don't know what to do. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. But I mean, that's a really accurate description of, you know, the queen of hearts in the, the animated. And she tells Alice to bow all the time and says, you know, you have to say like, yes, queen <laughs> every time. Um, <laughs> How old do you think you were when that happened? I'm curious. Uh, I was young. I might have been like uh, five, maybe. Oh, man. Because that's not to digress, but that reminds me of a similar thing that happened when we were on the great movie ride at Disney World. When the the gangster 
Spoilers uh, for the great movie ride, people. Sorry. <laughs> when the gangster takes over the trolley um, from the the tour guide, and I remember he turned around and he said, "What are you looking at?" And like, I like, I, I don't know if I cried, but like, I I was so like scared. <laughs> so that is interesting. Like, you know, these characters are supposed to be intimidating. Um, I think a, I don't know how many people are going to be afraid of the Red Queen in this movie. Maybe if you're like five, um, you probably would be more afraid of the Jabberwocky. Yeah, you might be freaked out by her big head, but right. Um, yeah, but t- talking about the Jabberwocky, that 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 is a necessary plot point, I think. But it also makes the movie a little bit more generic. By no, having- absolutely. I I commend Tim Burton for trying to make this movie have a narrative. But the whole chosen one has to slay the dragon or whatever has been done so many times. I mean, I guess, you know, his angle and I guess if you want to give this movie some credit, it's like, well, you know, usually it's a young man hero who slays the dragon. And this time, you know, it's this, you know, young girl who does it. And, you know, there's certainly those, you know supposed to be a certain feminist interpretation of Alice in this uh, movie, especially with the Victorian setting. Yeah. Um, but I can't help but feel that if you wanted something like that, you'd be better off watching something like, well, it's not a Victorian setting, but you'd be better off watching something like Little Women, or if you wanted a more adventurous movie, you watch Mulan or, you know, even the Powerpuff Girls. It's like there's so many things that is like do it more interestingly to watch this movie for it is sort of, you know, you know, cheating yourself out of better media. True. And so I want to I want to give credit to the screenwriter, Linda Wolverton, um, who was the one responsible for really adding this, um, this, this main plot. Um, and this was really her push. And apparently she is, um, you know, she identifies very strongly as a feminist and she does her best to, um, in, you know, imbue her work with, um, really feminist themes so um, other work she's done are she's done the Maleficent movies. Um, she did the screenplay for Beauty and the Beast, the original. Um, so she she has a, a good. Oh, history. so she's been around Disney for a while. I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she also she helped with Mulan. She helped with Lion King. She helped with Aladdin. Um, so she she has a history of um, working with Disney, but also trying to bring more feminist qualities to them. So that is something I want to commend the movie for. Um, Cause I, I feel bad. We haven't talked much about Alice herself yet. Um, but the, I, I feel like that is the strongest thing about, or one of the strongest things about this movie is it's um, push to show Alice um, pushing against this 
uh, Victorian mindset of what women are supposed to do. But I would agree the problem of it's a problem to have it be such a generic chosen one narrative. That's just very boring and yeah just the idea of alice slaying a dragon just doesn't seem in line with lewis carroll's vision like at all yeah yeah and i i think that uh i want to get they they could i feel like they could have given her something else to do but i Hey, she's a screenwriter. I, I didn't write the, you know, I just don't have the answer for what it would have been. Yeah. I, and I like what she does with Alice as a whole. Like I like, um, I think Mia Wazakowska, if I'm pronouncing that name right, as someone of Eastern European descent, I should be able to pronounce that right. Um, I think she does a, she does a good performance of Alice. She, along with the, with Linda Wolverton's screenplay, really do their best to present Alice as sort of like the Luna Lovegood of the world where she's um, quirky, but she's very smart and she's very independent, um, which I think is all really awesome to see in her character. And I think they, they really nail that. Um, But then I think putting her in that bland slay the dragon story just doesn't do her any favors. No, I I agree. Um, I actually think her performance, you know, uh, it's an interesting choice because they age Alice up, whereas she's only a little girl in this. She's, you said, 19 in this. She's, you know, supposed to get married to a lord. Um, mm-hmm. That that was an interesting choice. Um, where that also sort of goes into how this movie is sort of a sequel to a movie that was never made. Oh, yeah? Well, no, just in the sense that they are telling us that Alice has been to Wonderland before right? as a little girl when she thought they were only dreams. And that also sort of makes things a little confusing because how is it she's getting to... Is she falling down the rabbit hole again? Why is she interpreting it as dreams? Um Right. And I think they they sort of use a twist that that's basically how the cartoon and the book and it's just she wakes up. It's just a dream, you know, kind of like Wizard of Oz. But I just sort of just makes things a little confusing. Yeah. But I go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say that I think it's an interesting choice to make. Um, to age her up and then include that. But yeah, I wasn't sure if this was then meant to be a sequel to the 1951 version. I, I just, I really doubt it because, again, you know, there are characters who aren't the same. The Red Queen is not the Queen of Hearts. Um, she wakes up from a dream and it's not implied that, you know, she really went to Wonderland right. or anything like that. Um so, uh, yeah, it, it seems to be like it's a sequel to a movie that they didn't make. Right. Um, and maybe when they were, you know, early on in the scripting phase, they're like, do we want to make a straight adaptation of the book? 
And they're like, well, but let's do something more interesting. And then they were like, yeah, let's give it more plot. You know, we're introduce these elements from through the looking glass. And, and of course, so does the cartoon. Tweedledee and Tweedledum are from the Three the Looking Glass book. They're not from the Alice in Wonderland book, but um, right. Yeah, that. Yeah, it, it it works in the sense that it, it helps make the narrative of um, Alice learning her lesson and taking it back and and fighting against these Victorian values, but. Otherwise, it's it's a strange decision. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, because I don't know, like what what do you get? Like, what does it add to the movie other than a twist to know that she's been there before? Like, w- like how different would the movie be if this was really just her first time going there? See, I don't know if it was maybe like they wanted to bring more of a connection to her father who's introduced in the beginning. Right. Um, seems like a nice guy, but, you know, like most Disney parents, he doesn't last, you know, past the first few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really have a, a long life expectancy. But, yeah. So it and but like we said, like Mia... Wasikowska does a does a good job with what she's given. She she does a she does a good performance. Um, I was curious what you thought of the other performances, especially Anne Hathaway and Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter does exactly basically what should be expected of her character. Um, perfectly fine. Um, Anne Hathaway. This is, I don't know, the White Queen is such a weird character. <laughs> yes. Um, just the way she moves around and talks and interacts with basically every other character. Yeah, she I don't want glides. To, I don't want to describe her as ditzy because that's not it at all. But she, she, there's something really off about her. Yeah, well, this is how... Apparently, Anne Hathaway described her character, the the White Queen. According to Anne Hathaway, um, she played the White Queen as a punk rock vegan pacifist and that she took up um, inspiration or she she compared the the White Queen to um, one of those happy bunny drawings. Do you remember those? The the happy bunny stickers? What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so like the the happy bunny was like it was a cute bunny, but then it had something dark yeah. or somewhat like. And so she she compared it to the the caption of a magnet of cute bunny that said, um, "Cute but psycho, things even out." So that was how Anne Hathaway thought of her character. Ugh. I feel like for a Tim Burton movie, that like perfectly fits in. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty on brand, but no, she. For some reason, she's always gliding across the screen. Her her hands are always up, um, and like I feel like her fingers are always moving, and it's it's very odd. Um, and I don't know what we're supposed to think of her. Well, she's suppo- I don't think we're supposed to think she's secretly a villain, but she's right. just she's just an oddball, even right. even for Wonderland standards. Yeah. But I don't know if we're supposed to think that 
Wonderland's going to be in uh, is going to be getting along very well when she's in power again, or if it's just going to be a disaster because she has no idea what she's doing. Right. Um, so uh, we we talked. Um, I guess the Jabberwocky is a character. Um, yeah. He does have lines, and he is yeah. played by. The late great Sir Christopher Lee, who appeared in a couple other uh, of Tim Burns' movies, like most notably um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Um, did you did you, you remember that he voiced the Jabberwocky? As soon as he, <laughs> not before he talked, but okay. Um, it it feels like. It's such a waste to have such a legendary actor for such a minor role. He only has two lines. Like, that's it. He he deserved better. And I don't know if that meant him playing somebody else. Um, Certainly Alan Rickman, who plays um, the Caterpillar, Mm -hmm. has a little more to do. I don't think there's much to say about his character other than he's a little rude to Alice, but he means to nudge her in the right direction. And he's high the entire time. No, he's... No. <laughs> is it, he's right, smoking it's, it's, a hookah. That is for yeah. tobacco. I know, I know. Um, I, I do appreciate now that um, we both watch this on Disney+, Plus. how it has a, uh, a warning for tobacco use. And even the other one, the cartoon, which is rated G, has the, the that's the one note it has is tobacco use because yeah. the caterpillar and other characters smoke because that's just yeah. the world we live in now. Yeah, no, I I appreciate Disney Plus doing that. They also for some of those older cartoons that had some things that right like um, the, are pretty uh, racist now. Right, they, the they Siamese sure cats or the crows and Dumbo. Yes, right. they'll talk about things being um, you know culturally insensitive right though i i mean we could go on the whole thing about that some people thought that their description of certain things fell a little short that they 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 kind of defended the the stuff a little too much whereas you look at some of the statements that warner brothers made about uh some of their cartoons they they made a little stronger you know emphasis you know this was wrong then, it's wrong now. But um, that actually brings an interesting point up. It's a, it's a good segue, actually. So in the end of this movie, we slay the Jabberwocky, and Alice says, okay, I want to be you know, her old father's business partner. She's going to be his apprentice. And she says, we should go to China and trade with them. Yeesh. Some people didn't take that, you know, you know as a, a good... W- in, in like a an innocent way because of you know the british's uh relationship with china in the 19th century and uh did, did you catch that again i i think that just comes from tim burton not being mindful of his you know historical you know precedent did, did you catch that i i did a bit when when it, alice ed comes back and she says um, we can take advantage of our foothold in Hong Kong. I was like, ooh, that's 
that's where right, going, right. I, I, think, I, I think that you know it was trying to be a little flat. It's like the culture is rich and stuff like that. But it's like again, like you look at the 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 wars that were fought over things because of British influence in China, and it's just it's just sort of I think again I I don't think there's anything you know negative meant by it, it was just they didn't do their homework or they just didn't think of it. Right. It's and and there was criticism I read because it, it's basically you you get this hero who her her lesson is that colonialism is good. You know she she gets, she gets her Arya Stark moment of what is west of Westeros? What is what is east of England? Maybe we should stop having people do that. Man, I don't know. I mean, you know, discovery is certainly one thing, but you know what you do once you land is a whole different thing. Yeah, so I I like the you, idea you know as her, Black Panther hmm. might call her or I uh, usually might call her a, a colonizer. Yes, she she's basically one of the bad guys from Black Panther. She would go to Wakanda and steal all their vibranium. She's the true villain, um, but no, I that it was tone deaf more than anything. Like I don't it it it's something that they should have thought of more. But I, it's good in the sense that it has a connection to her father again. So it kind of ties up the movie. But they shouldn't have done it still. At least not in that way. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up. That was, that was one other thing I had on my to-do list. But I don't know if there was anything else really I had in mind. Anything else that you um, want to talk about for the movie? Oh, uh, just uh, some, some interesting. This movie actually did win um, some Academy Awards for costuming and stuff like that. Mm. You mentioned that it was nominated for visual effects. Um, I think Inception won that year. Nice. Uh. <laughs> We're going to mention Inception on every podcast we do this year. It's a new. It's it's, it's our uh, our New Year's resolution. Right. Uh, I just. Would you yeah. recommend this movie? No, just because there are way better things to watch, not because it's particularly bad. Yes, I agree. It's not the dumpster fire I thought it was. But it's not anything to write home about. But that didn't stop a lot of people from seeing it. Uh, this movie made a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah. And oh, that actually... that. that do you think that's because there was a certain expectation with this movie, with Tim Burton directing it, that it was going to be something and then it wasn't? Because I think when I heard about it, I thought that it was going to be weirder. Because even though this is a Tim Burton movie and you have things like Johnny Depp doing what some people have said is a crip walk... uh and his head spinning around uh he uh (laughs) this for an alice in wonderland movie and just for a tim burn movie like the the straightforward plot it's it's kind of a normal movie and i don't know it's just because if he'd done this with you know i think sometimes we forget that 
Disney is just adapting these uh, these stories. Like they don't own Alice in Wonderland. If he had done it with a, another studio, it maybe would have turned out a little maybe darker or weirder. You know, maybe more in line with an Edward Scissorhands or a Beetlejuice. Maybe. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's... You, you do have to wonder about the constraints um, that working with Disney places on an adaptation like this and on someone like Tim Burton, who's known to be very eccentric. Right. Um, <laughs> but that, like you said, that didn't stop it from doing really well. And whether or not that was because of the expectations, but there, there was a point when it was as high as the, the fifth highest grossing movie of all time. So. And, and, and again, I think that's just people were expecting, okay, it's Johnny Depp, it's Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. They all seem like a perfect match for each other. Um, and it came out in March. I mean, I think there are more things coming out earlier in the year now, but back then, I mean, I don't think there was a lot. There probably wasn't a lot of competition. No, I mean, even now, 10 years later, um, this month, March is still really not that big of a, a box office draw. I think the biggest movie or the biggest movies coming out this month this year are probably Quiet Place 2 and the Mulan uh, live action version. Right. And um, this is actually an example, I guess, of early Disney live action adaptations because we had the... 101 Dalmatians movie and the sequel, which we also saw together. (laughs) (laughs) And we had this. I don't think there was anything. I mean, you could say Pirates of the Caribbean, but that that was adapted from the ride. That doesn't count. And like the Haunted Mansion. So this this is sort of like an early example. Did this set any precedent for those movies? Them being mediocre, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, no, this this was the the first of those that happened. It looks like, other than the Dalmatians, but that came out in 1996. So there was a bit of a gap. Um, I think you can make the argument that this really started it. Um, I think there's a stronger argument to say Cinderella started in 2015. Oh, no, absolutely. Cinderella, I think, and Maleficent are the two movies that really kicked it off because yeah. of how well they did. Yes. Um, uh, but this is, if you're trying to get into the, the head of the Disney execs that thought how we should really start um, going back to the well and, and remaking some of our classics, you can definitely point to this as contributing to that. And yet... When the sequel came out, because there was a sequel to this movie, I don't know even. I know about it. Okay. It did not do well. I don't know if that's just because Tim Burton wasn't attached to it. Um, Johnny Depp was still in it. Um, Or maybe it's just negative reaction from the first movie. That's, that would be my guess. Because, I mean, that's, that's just such a steep drop off. If the, so Alice in Wonderland made, like you said, over a billion dollars, and then the sequel made less than three hundred million. So that's a huge, huge drop. 
You see, the, the thing that this movie had that the others, the other didn't, is it didn't have an end credit song by Avril Lavigne. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> that's that's what dates this movie the most. That's so bad. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe we should end this podcast on an end credit song from Avril Lavigne. Maybe maybe all movies should do that. Um, I, I think I'm ready to wrap this up if you are. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Okay. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening to our podcast on the 10th anniversary of Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Um, Aaron, where can the these good people find you online? So I'm at Aaron Sarnecki on Twitter. Uh, Josh mentioned that there are some movies coming out soon-ish. I don't know who we have slated to review certain things. Um, I may ask in the future for something, uh, but that's that just depends on what pops up. I'll have to look at the, the list of movies coming out in the next few months. Uh, so uh, you can find me on Twitter. You find me on the top break. Uh, what about you? I don't have anything immediately coming out. Um, there's my monthly podcast with Bill and Alex, our editor-in-chief and TV editor um, about each month in television. So our one for February just came out recently, so make sure to check that out. Um, my Couch Potato op-ed came out a few weeks ago where I talked about The Witcher. Um, and, yeah, that's that's about everything. I have something in the works for this month, but um, people can find me on The Pop Break and also on Twitter at Josh Sarnacki. Um, but I am terrible about updating Twitter, especially now that I've given up social media for Lent. So, um, <laughs> it, it, it may take a while for me to respond. To did you, did you pass that one by Bill first? I, I will go on long enough to, to retweet something, but I'm not going to be scrolling down my newsfeed or whatever. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and there are lots of other awesome podcasts to check out through the pop break. Um, Marissa and um, Matt have recently been releasing their um, and the winner still is podcast to talk about the previous Oscar winners. This is their second season and um, they just um, released their first two episodes of the season. And the next one coming up is 1941. So that one should probably be out by the time you're listening to this. So make sure to check that out. They have got some really great insight into the Oscar history um, and yeah, and just make sure to check out, um, the pop for all of your, um, information on the latest pop culture news reviews and interviews. Um, Aaron, thank you as always for, for hosting this with me. Yep. And thank you all for listening. Hope you, uh, have a great day or evening or whatever it is. And we will catch you next month for whatever we're talking about then. So long for now. <laughs>